It's Yona Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. It's been one year since Russia invaded Ukraine, and the war is still raging strong. But all over the world yesterday, people rallied and united to show solidarity with the Ukrainian people. Tamila Karpik speaks with us about what it's like one year later for Ukrainians who had to leave their homes. And they say laughter is the best medicine, and one comedian is proof of that in spades as he turns his addiction and recovery into comedy. I speak with Dan Duval, a comedian who's now five years sober after 17 years of addiction, about he how he turned his life around and how his comedy heals not only him, but his audience. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help you be at your best. You know, it's been a very difficult year uh, for a, a lot of people um, around the world, specifically for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. Um, a very difficult time for uh, people in the world who just didn't see this kind of uh, just horrific, uh, brutal bullying, if you will. And, you know, it's a year, uh, Friday was a, a solidarity march to, to mark one year of the Ukrainian, of uh, the Russian invasion, uh, the un, unprecedented uh, illegal invasion of the Ukraine. And um, you look at the world and you look at the Ukrainians and you see where they are in battling a much bigger foe, so to speak, in terms of resources and numbers, sheer numbers. And yet they still stand. And what's interesting is I have a bunch of friends, a lot of friends in my community uh, that are uh, of Russian descent or from Russia directly. A lot of friends in my community are Ukrainian, from Ukrainian descent, uh, or here directly from the Ukraine in recent years. Um, and it's interesting to see how at one time we were all together at the same table and now how that's kind of shifted a little bit uh, just as it relates to, um, you know, in my own little community, my own little, you know, Jewish community where we are here in uh, northern uh, part of Toronto here in Ontario. Um, but, you know, understanding this is, is much more difficult, um, if you will, uh, in terms of where uh, we need to be as, a, as, a, as, human, as humans, in terms of humanity, when you look at this kind of disastrous uh, activity where, where one country comes into another country and clearly the intent is not to take over that country and then thrive because they live, they're leaving nothing standing. It's absolute destruction for the sake of destruction and uh, find it just very difficult. L l listen clearly to what uh, the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford uh, has to say here. Uh, Julie, can you throw that up, please? The determination of the Ukrainian people is truly inspirational. And we're here together to show the world that the people of Ontario stand with the people of Ukraine. There you go. So here, uh, here's Doug uh, say, speaking on behalf of all Ontarians. Uh, I have a guest with me this evening. Her name is Tamila Karpik. She's an international security and democratic governance expert and a Ukrainian activist. Uh, Tamila, thank you so much for being here with us this evening. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I wish we could have a different conversation and we could be talking about uh, how uh, this uh, this war has now ended. Um, but, you know, sitting back from someone in my in my position or just as an outsider, clearly sitting back and looking at it, um, it's remarkable 
how the Ukrainian people seem to continue to move forward and stay strong and stay committed. Uh, certainly their president uh, uh, is, is showing great resolve uh, in terms of uh, staying committed to, to the fight. But when you look at the footage and you look at the media coverage, there's just, I mean, there's nothing left. What do you think the plan is? I mean, Russia just wants to level Ukraine and use it as a as a parking lot because that's all it's going to be good for when they're finished. What's going on there? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for our coverage of uh, Dark Force. Actually, I was at that meeting uh, at the Nathan uh, Phillips Square, and there was Justin Trudeau, Minister, Anand, Minister of Defense, Anand, and uh, there were many other uh, politicians and members of parliament. And uh, it was uh, very touching to he- uh, hear all the politicians from both parties, liberal and conservative, supporting Ukraine. And uh, there were many people of non-Ukrainian descent, international, diverse uh, crowd. uh, And uh, it was truly touching, even though it was cold at that night. Uh, But thank you, first of all, as a Ukrainian-Canadian, uh, I would like to express my uh, gratitude to all Canadians, uh, to all uh, international partners of Canada, NATO, uh, for supporting Ukraine. And for this year was uh, the year of resilience uh, for Ukrainians, but at the same time it was the year of uh, very uh, strong international support of uh, Ukraine. In terms of what, in terms of your question, what's going on there, what's going on on the ground? Well, I mean, Ukraine does not have a choice, right? It's whether uh, Ukraine wins it or Ukraine goes back in centuries to, you know, it's going to be end of history. And yeah. uh, there is no choice for Ukrainian people. Yes, Ukraine is much smaller than Russia. It's it's a it's a big country in terms of financial resources, military resources, human resources. But at the same time, if Ukraine has this this continuing and long support of United States, Canada, NATO allies, then I'm pretty sure uh, Ukraine will win. You know, you say you talk about uh, you talk about the uh, support from around the world. You, you know, and many who aren't Ukrainian, uh, you know, uh, are are involved in the support. You can't help it though, Tamila, because if you sit back and you're and if you're an anti-bully kind of person, I mean, I'm certainly an anti-bully kind of person. You can't mm-hmm. see it any other way. You don't even look at the politics anymore. You just look at this this invasion of, 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 you know, of destruction with, you know, it's one thing in the, in the middle of a war when there's military targets and, and some, you know, some reasonable sense, sense to what they're doing, what they're bombing here. It's destruction for destruction's sake. And of course you're going to have support because the world looks at this and sees it for the travesty that it is. So uh, yeah, we're going to stick with you. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but we're certainly going to stick with you uh, and the Ukrainian people until they win. Uh, because it's not just about the Ukrainian people. It's about where where Russia goes next, perhaps, right? Or just the, the fact that a country can get away with doing this kind of stuff. Um, anyway, in terms of where where you are in this thing, you still have family there, right? Uh, yes, I do. I do have. My father is there, my brother, my my cousins. Um, so it's 
It's, I have family and friends there, and uh, they live under rocket attacks, under there is no power, there is no internet for many days. Sometimes I have, like, sometimes yeah. I can't reach out to my father, even, like, yeah. for two days, even though he lives in western part of Ukraine. Not, yeah. uh, so it's not that uh, that bad in west uh, in the west of Ukraine, uh, but still the power outage is happening um, everywhere. Oh, unfortunately, yes. I'm chatting with uh, Tamila Karpik. She is a um, expert in um, international security and democratic governance, and she's also an activist in with the Ukraine. Um, trying to help the Ukrainian uh, people. Uh, I'm reading an article, but just before we get back here, I was reading an article not so long ago that talked about how a lot of the volunteers in the Ukraine are having a difficult time financially and having, you know, meeting the needs, uh, meeting their needs and having to, you know, pay for their own uh, housing and food and all that kind of stuff. And, and just, you know, people are saying that over the last year, uh, some of the support, some of the volunteerism has thinned a little bit. Tamila, is that something you're aware of? And, you know, what's what's your thinking around that? Uh, do you mean in the Ukraine itself or in Canada, uh, volunteers in Canada? No, we're talking about we're talking about volunteers uh, in Canada and then some that have actually gone from Canada and other places in the world uh, to try mm-hmm. to help on the ground. Well, I mean, volunteerism is, was always uh, something was uh, is uh, challenging and it takes uh, people, it takes uh, enthusiasm and of course the more, uh, like you, you mentioned uh, earlier, the more the war is uh, lasting, uh, the more difficult it is to um, to keep the spirit, right, to, um, uh, to uh, um, empower people to fight and empower people to uh, give financial resources, human resources, but uh, at the same time, uh, we see here uh, in Canada, uh, in Canada, and in Ukrainian community uh, that people are still uh, are still doing many projects. Basically, I returned even today from the charitable concert uh, that was dedicated to the one-year uh, anniversary of full-scale invasion. And during this concert, we did fundraising for uh, in, uh, the purpose was to buy an ambulance that uh, would carry uh, wounded soldiers from the uh, the hottest uh, war uh, zone um, areas. And, uh, for example, the organization I'm involved with, Postwave Canada, only our organization has sent already uh, five ambulances uh, to Ukraine. And there are so many other organizations that basically doing things and uh, many other international organizations. So uh, I'm... Well, I mean, well, Ukrainians are still uh, feeling this uh, need of uh, supporting uh, our brothers and sisters there because yeah. uh, they need this support, and we ca- we cannot stop, right? We cannot uh, be tired. We have to we have to continue support them, and we have to uh, continue uh, our efforts and uh, help them. The people that have left, uh, the people that have left the Ukraine that have now come to Canada, um, the people that you've speak to uh, here in Canada, is it their intention 
to uh, go back, uh, like the people who have left, I know millions of people have left the Ukraine in the last year to, to serve, mm. you know, for survival, to protect themselves and their, and their families. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'd probably, you know, likely I would do exactly the same. Um, are these people likely to go back, uh, Tamila? Or you think once they're settled in other parts of the world that they choose to stay there? Uh, well, in terms of Canada, it, it actually almost 120,000 people came to Canada this year from Ukraine. And yeah. uh, there are so many more in other countries, uh, like uh, Poland, specifically Romania, uh, Hungary, Czech Republic. Uh, but... Um, um, yes, we have to be we have to be honest uh, and say that the longer war is lasting, the the less chances for people to come back because it's one thing when you go for a short time, right? Uh, but another thing, if you have to come to another country, uh, let's say uh, if you wanna if you if you have to uh, if you have children for example children go yeah. to school they will have exactly. some friends there you have to uh, we know how it is difficult in canada to get into the field if you don't have canadian certification or diploma so if right. people start getting education getting profession of course it will be uh, not easy to live this life and go back there so it's very complicated issue. Uh, at the same time, it's a human issue because uh, many of them left their family there. And as you yes. know, a man from 18 until, until 60 years old cannot leave the country unless they have special circumstances. So uh, it's basically women and children uh, who left the country mainly. Uh, that's why it's it's also a demographic issue, which is not good for Ukraine. If many exactly. like millions leave the country, then Ukraine's um, demographic situation is not going to be uh, easy in the like next five or ten years. Yeah, you need to have people. And plus, you know, the rebuilding is going to be, uh, I'm sure, decades in the coming. Um, as an international security expert, um, do you believe that Putin's invasion or the invasion, I think I call it Putin's invasion more than the Russian invasion, because I think this is a crazy man doing crazy things, but uh, I'm clearly not a political expert. Um, how much longer do you think Russia can continue this invasion? And and, and do you think it's changed the climate or the or the sort of the the, the, the global uh, landscape the in terms of security and the stability and security, uh, feeling stable and, and safe in your country? Um, how do you think that's affected the world and um, how much longer do you think this could continue? Well, of course, it, it's affected the world, and it's still affecting not only security but economic. Uh, we see uh, many, uh, many like it influences uh, everywhere. Even though in the beginning there were talks mainly about European security, right? That if, let's say, Putin uh, uh, moving uh, moving uh, forward from Ukraine, like to Poland or Baltic republics, but now we see it's a global uh, global security. For example, global South, how much Russia has influence there, and in terms of like disinformation campaign, uh, that's another thing that Russia is trying to uh, through disinformation, through misinformation, uh, to win hearts and minds of people in global yeah. South. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but um, at the same time, uh, we cannot we cannot like fall into this manipulation uh, of Putin. Uh, one of the mechanisms that is 
should, that I think should be still in place and stronger is sanctions. Sanctions if uh, United States and allies like Canada, Great Britain put tougher sanctions on uh, Russia economy. Uh, then uh, it will be another, like, it's still in place, but these sanctions should be tougher. Another thing, energy resources. Uh, the more countries uh, will uh, have other sources of energy supplies and stop buying Russian gas, uh, the less money Russia has uh, for supporting their military. So the sanctions mechanism also should be tougher. So Russian economy and Russian oligarchs uh, do not have, you know, like they pay, money they to pay the price. Yeah. yeah. So uh, all these on the, um, international organizations like NATO, United Nations, UN, like UN, uh, yes, like the couple of days ago, uh, Minister of Global Affairs, Melanie Julie, she was talking to at United Nations on behalf of Canada. Uh, of course, un unfortunately, Russia is not the country that would uh, listen to any UN yeah. resolutions. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, there, we still have to continue this. And another thing, uh, there should be... Um, I remember when there was end of the World War, Nuremberg process, when all the uh, uh, Hitler uh, uh, and uh, yeah. his fascists yeah. were uh, prosecuted. The same should happen in the International Criminal Court in Haag, in Netherlands. So all yeah. the uh, generals, uh, all uh, Putin's uh, military advisors, they should be are prosecuted for war crimes against humanity. And Russia is a terrorist state, and this is something that all the countries has to have to recognize. And these war crimes have to be, they, they have to be punished for those war yeah. crimes in, in the international uh, court. I'm talking to Tamila Karpik, a person at her best, doing what she can to help the folks in Ukraine, her folks in Ukraine, and we certainly need to stand behind them. So thank you so much for being with us uh, here tonight, Tamila. We've got to keep, keep up our efforts for sure. And we'll have you come back on again later on just a few months from now, see how we're doing. I have a guest who's going to join me here in just a minute, real funny guy. His name's Dan Duvall. But I want to get to it uh, here in a second. You know, we, we listen to funny, we watch funny people, right? Uh, great actors and, and comedians that are out there. And, and you know, you, you watch them and they make us laugh and, they, and, and giggle. And, and then you learn a little bit about their lives and find out the kind of pain that they're actually suffering with. And the, and the concept that I, I'm trying to understand, I guess, is why we're going to have this conversation tonight. Um, and by the way, Dan is a, a man at his best. Uh, he's turned his life around, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, so we're really kind of profiling him as someone at their best. Uh, but I wanted to bring out the concept of funny people that make you laugh on the outside, but they themselves perhaps are crying on the inside. We hear a lot about comedians that have a hard time and they take their own lives or they end up, you know, some kind of overdose or, you know, terrible situation that you know we're so surprised like they're just so funny how could they be so sad dan deval is a comedian he is um on the stage telling jokes that he uh that, that he uh that he likes to talk about uh, himself a little bit uh have a listen to for this clip uh from brie uh, go, going to rebrand from dan to daniel it's an audio clip here um julie if you can just throw it up please about rebranding. I'm thinking about I can't be Dan anymore. I'm going to be Daniel now. 
We're gonna come to shit together. I can't be Dan. Dan's an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, not every alcoholic is named Dan, but every Dan is an alcoholic. Think about it. Think about it. I'm right. That's fucking, it's weird, man. It's true. It's the only thing I've learned today. AA. Nothing else. So there you go. There's a, a little bit of uh, of Dan Duvall, um, funny guy. Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, Dan's a stand-up. Just so you know, he's a 17-year. Uh, he was an addict for 17 years. He's now five years sober and um, doing a real great job of uh, staying on the quote-unquote straight and narrow. Dan Duvall, welcome to our show. How are you? Hello. I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty. I'm actually yeah. sitting in the underground parking lot outside of Heckler's Comedy Club in Victoria right now, in between shows. So we're we're in real time. It's happening in real time this evening. <laughs> oh, cool. I love it. Half the work I do with people, by the way, is from the from the the, the dashboard of their car. I actually send out uh, stands to some of my clients and uh, and uh, patients so they can actually stand it up properly, so, uh, so it doesn't make me nauseous when it bounces up and down. Uh, but um, <laughs> I, you know, so in the old days, maybe you'd be sitting in the underground doing a bump or two right before the show. Yeah. Maybe not so much today. <laughs> You are not wrong about that at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that is that is the case. And now, not today. That's true. I'm, I got a, I have a diet Pepsi and a, and a and a Caesar salad waiting for me at the table now instead. But yeah, that, yeah that boring, right? Real boring. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not yeah. the same as the is the Mickey and whatever goes with it. Dan, first of all, let me congratulate you on your five years of being clean and sober. I, I know what kind of work that Thanks. takes and. I just want to make sure you get the kudos and the support that you need for that. So that, regardless of how funny you are, and, I, and I've seen some of your stuff, and you're like, you're a hysterical guy. Uh, but Thank the clean you. and sober piece is really the part that uh, kind of turns me on. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, 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 and by the way, I'm really holding back saying, okay, tell me a joke, which I'm sure yeah. everyone says, okay, funny man, tell me a joke. Um, but yeah. Uh, we'll yeah but you know getting to that when when you're doing your routine uh and i you know i grew up uh, i grew up um, literally grew, grew up with howie mandel as kids and uh saw his routine since grade six uh some of mm-hmm. it's still the same today um uh, but um uh, you know i grew i grew up around some pretty funny people and um right. you know what what i what i guess i find really mind-boggling is how you and your colleagues do such a good job of taking your own sort of funky life and turning it into something that people can laugh about. So it, you know, right. one would say is, yeah, does it feel demeaning though? Like when you're talking about, yeah. you know, Dan, the drunk or Dan, the alcoholic, um, do you feel you're doing that and kind of, how do you make sure you're not putting yourself down while you're doing the routine? Um, well, for me, it, it's drawn from my own experience and my experience now is very positive. My experience now in life is I can look back. We have a saying in 12-step programs where uh, the saying is, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And I think that's really important because who I was and who, who I am and who I was is really just a product of my choices. And my choices yeah. now just are a lot more intentional um, and a lot more loving and a lot kinder and a lot, um, a lot more thought out than they used to be. And, uh, so the way that I used to conduct my life was, was just, I wasn't, I'm not ashamed of it because I just didn't understand. I didn't know how to make choices. I didn't really make choices about anything. I just sort of reacted 
to life and I was just sort of going through it. And it wasn't until I got sober that I could step back and sort of look at all of that and what, and what it looks like. And so now when I'm on stage and I draw from that, I can see the humor in it and it doesn't, I'm not ashamed of it. There's, I mean, I'm not going to, there's a threshold, right? It has to be done in a certain way. Like I can't just come out on stage and talk about, you know, some of the darkest, there's some stuff that I'm just not going to talk about on stage that isn't funny that everyone's not going to be relatable. So you got to sort of figure out what parts are parts that you can make light of. I can make light of all of it on my own, but not all of it is going to be able to be taken lightly by an audience. And you can take people to a place where they don't really know if they're allowed to laugh or not when you're talking about some of the more dark parts from my past. So now um, the things that I do talk about are things that um, a are general um, like general things that anybody who did drugs can, 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 um, you know, relate to mostly. And the rest of it is personal stories. Um, most of the stuff I talk about is stuff from early recovery when I was just sort of figuring it out. And I look at that as being kind of almost like a little kid, like you're just learning how to be a person again. And so it's funny. It's like, it's objectively funny. Like I had to start doing cardio and running because I was in such terrible shape. And the story yeah. it goes is the first time I ever went for a run in my life. I tried to run one kilometer and I had an asthma attack and ended up in an ambulance. And that's objectively funny. <laughs> like there's no, like, I mean, that's, yeah. it's, I, I ended up fine and it, it, it's, there's nothing yeah. not funny about it, you know? So, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I have, yeah, go ahead. And, and so there's another bit that I tried to do for a little while. There's a bit where I, I talked about when I was in the throes of addiction I was living in another city and I got into a fight with the person I was dating and they kicked me out of the house and I ended up getting on a plane blackout drunk and woke up in Victoria on a plane landing. Like the plane was landing on the tarmac as I came to. And I've tried to tell that story. Hey, have you ever blacked out on a plane and just woke? And it doesn't work very well. Cause yeah. people are like, ha 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 ha. Like, not so like funny. No, it's not. So, 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 yeah, so so that's that's move. the thing, right? Um, th- that's the thing. The thing is when you when you uh, when you when you lay something out there, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, for some people say, "Well, I don't find that funny because my brother had a problem with it or my sister had a problem with it." Um, people need to understand that what you're doing is you're communi- you're, you're communicating a message uh, through mm-hmm. um, you know happens to be through comedy, but at the end of the day, I believe from the stuff I've seen, your more recent stuff, um, it's sends a very mm-hmm. positive message to people yeah. um, and, yeah. and they need to see that for what it's worth. I'm not going to keep my friend Dan too long because he's got to go back and get up on stage. This is like he said, real time talking to Dan Devell, a very funny guy um, and spent 17 years in addiction and now five years sober, sober and uh, still very, very funny. If not, maybe even funnier. Dan, welcome back to the show. Mm-hmm. Listen, as a comedian, uh, how long did it take you to get comfortable kind of standing up to tell the world about your journey? Um, well, I, I spent the first probably four years of stand up just sort of telling jokes that I wrote that weren't really about my life. It wasn't until I got sober that I started actually talking about uh, my, my actual life. So it, 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 it really changed for me. It changed a lot of things. Uh, probably I would say three years into recovery, I started talking more about 
about my actual life. And it really changed the way that I did comedy because it made me more comfortable because I wasn't trying to sell jokes to any, to people anymore. Uh, it felt, it yeah. felt more like I was just talking to them about my life and, and, and it's yeah. more speaking from the heart than anything else. And so it was more, it made me feel more natural, more present and more in the room, which for me completely transformed everything. And that's, and, and, and it's a reflection too of being, sober because getting sober um allowed me to be present for my own life in general and allowed me to be more comfortable exactly. in my own skin and show up and not only participate in my own life but to also be intentional in my own life which is this, things i'm still learning from people like my sponsor and people i work with and my partner and all sorts of people so yeah it's like much bigger than comedy but those are Though that they do mirror each other in that way, it's just all about showing up with uh, being authentic and not being afraid to be vulnerable and be myself. Do you remember sitting back? You know, um, you know. I remember. You know, I do. Uh, I'm a keynote speaker, and you know, I have mm-hmm. you know OCD, ADD, and anxiety disorder that I'm very public about. But I often mm-hmm. stare out into the crowd sometimes, and, and where I may be not having a great day, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if they realize how much I'm suffering inside. Now, you know, mm-hmm. when when you were before recovery. Uh, and before recovery, um, which is, you know, before the beginning of recovery, which you and I both right, know yeah. is a lifetime thing, lifetime thing. Yeah, it really, um, truly you is. Never, yeah. You, you, never, yeah. you never get to the end, right? There's never the no. end of the hallway. It just, just keeps no, going. No, yeah. um, but Jay, every, remember looking back the days when you were kind of messed up and kind of looking out yeah. to the audience, trying to make them laugh, thinking, wow, I wonder if these, you know, uh, I'll use, I won't use the word I want to use, but I wonder if these quote unquote people can actually realize that i'm suffering inside and why are you laughing at me although i'm trying to make you laugh it's kind of like this bizarro bizarro world right where you know right. you're, you're kind of dying inside and people are laughing at you and it's you know how do you separate the fact that you know you want them to understand that you've got tears inside but they don't see it because you're making them laugh what was that struggle like for you well let me I'll, well what's interesting about that is that i didn't even know i was suffering that's the kind of interesting part about ah. drug addiction is that you don't even know i think that i it's either it's either i think i'm you know the greatest thing that's ever happened to anyone uh or the worst pile of garbage that anyone's ever seen that's kind of the way it goes but when i was on stage it was always i never really felt like i was suffering i was just i spent all my time on or off stage trying to present a version of myself that I thought people wanted to see. And that's like what addiction is like the drugs and alcohol is a symptom of that to me. hundred percent. So, so let's, and, let, yeah, let's get, yeah, yeah, let's get to that for a second. I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, let's get sure. to you only got no, so much fine. time. I could spend all yeah, night with you. Uh, yeah, but it would be a lot of fun actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but listen, but the, 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 um, the, the stuff that's underneath, I, mean, I don't want to become a, too much of a therapist here right now, but the, that's okay. it, the drug addiction, the alcoholism, that, that, that was the end result. What was the stuff driving it? Where was the pain oh, coming from? When I look at it now, it's codependency. Like codependency is the cellar underneath the basement that is alcoholism, I think. And it, at least that's Got been you. my experience. And the fear to me is just not being heard. It's not being yeah. seen. I come from a family where I'm the youngest child and... Uh, I think that played a big part in it. You know, like trauma doesn't have to be some crazy, horrible, you know, locked in a trunk of a car situation. I mean, I'm sure that would cause trauma, but like it can also yeah. just be your sisters are jerks. You know what I mean? And like yeah. 
So yeah. from a young age, I always felt like I had to fight for everything I had to be heard and whatnot. And that's where the humor comes from. It's like, well, I need to make sure that these people hear me and like me. And if I'm funny, I'm always going to have people around for me. And that was my being funny was my first drugs and alcohol. That was like, it's the yeah. exact same thing. Yeah. It's, it's a big yeah. deflection. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's the fear. What The fear of where it's coming from is uh, just fear of not being safe. Like fear of, you know, like if I trace it back far enough, it's fear of dying, really. It's, it's that existential crisis of like, oh, my God, I don't know what happens to me after I die. I better not be present for this. It's terrifying. I better learn to get yeah. funny and drunk real fast, you know. And now I can instead look at that existential crisis and be like, oh, I don't know what any of this is and i'm a meat sack full of bones on a weird rock i don't know what any of this is but instead of being like i'm terrified it's like oh this is awesome i'm so lucky to have seen any of this and if i can stay in that place of gratitude i can stay present and enjoy everything and that's a big been a big shift so yeah so when 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 you didn't get the i get i get that the laughter is uh Mm -hmm. the laughter is a buzz by itself for sure but Mm -hmm. when you didn't get the back in the day when you didn't get the laughter you didn't get the results you were looking for had to spin you out of control right oh totally yeah just absolutely terrified the worst thing imaginable you would think about it for days if i couldn't make someone laugh or i thought i said something weird to somebody or any like every it's it's this weird thing where i think i need to be in control of how what everyone thinks of me all the time and it's the most impossible bottomless pit of a job a full-time job that you could ever imagine and i lived my whole life like that so when i didn't get the laughter yeah it was the worst case scenario it was deeply painful um like to the point it's hard to describe somebody who doesn't know what that feels like it literally feels like you're gonna die if you think that somebody's like yeah. mad at you like you or something and it's yeah i have a lot of freedom it's like that. it's like asking the girl out, it's like asking the girl out for the first date or the guy out for the first yeah. date whatever you're into uh the person out for the first date i guess to be politically correct and um and, and they say no and it's like, oh my God, I just oh, want to go into the hole, especially oh if anybody saw you. You know, you you oh. were so we only got a little time left, but you were so open and so so public, mm-hmm. you have no place to hide, right? So now that you've been sober for all this period of time, clearly you're not looking mm-hmm. for a place to hide. Um, no. do you find that you're just funnier? Yeah, I'm way more present. I observe way more stuff. Yeah. I'm, my mind is sharper, I'm I'm more enjoyable to be around. I'm I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm not happy all the time. Like I'm some, you know, crazy. Yeah. I get it. I understand. I'm just more, yeah. I'm just more, there's more peace. There's more, I'm not doing, I'm not trying to control every little thing and person around me. So I don't, ha- I have more time to be present for my own life and enjoy things. And when I'm enjoying things, it's easier to find laughter. It's just that it's just, a, yeah. Together, uh... You know, you know that we got about a minute or so left. Uh, people don't understand what it means to be in recovery, but they need to understand that every once in a while we still have those cravings and needs and desires. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you handle your demons now? I call somebody. I talk to people. I talk. I'm, I, I, I talk to other people. I don't do it by myself. That's the biggest thing I say to people who are trying to get sober or fighting any kind of demon at all. Let people in. Talk to people. Be vulnerable you're safe. It's safe to be vulnerable. People want to help you. They really do. It's not burdening people. It's not putting people out. People want to help open up. And, uh, that, that's how I deal with it. Especially early on when I first quit 
anytime I even thought about drinking or doing drugs, I just called somebody immediately. I just ratted myself out right away. And it's very few and far between now. I rarely even think about drinking at all. But, you know, it doesn't stop me from worrying that that text I sent an hour ago means you hate me now. So, like, I can call somebody about yeah. that, too. Right? Be like, hey, tell me I'm crazy, yeah. right? And my buddy will be like, hey, you're being an idiot. And then I'm like, okay, thank you. And then I can just go back to my life. You know, it's a team effort. I'm a team, I'm a team effort now. That's how I kind of feel about it. Were you that, were you that funny guy in class that tried to make everybody laugh as a kid? Oh, yeah. My desk was in the hallway. Anything for a laugh. I would abandon myself or be awful to you to get a laugh. And if you're listening to this and we went to school together, I'm very sorry for being mean <laughs> to you. It was not right. And I'm sorry. For I was not a very nice young man when I was growing up a lot of it. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking to Dan Duvall. Dan, we're going to have you back on for sure. When I get to Vancouver or get out somewhere where you're playing, uh, I'm going to make okay. sure I check you out uh, in person hey. so we can get a little little hug going here or something. Share yeah. a share a Money. diet coke and a pizza. Uh, Dan Duvall, yeah. very funny guy. You got to catch him wherever possible. He's on the on the social media too. You got to catch him. A guy that's tr- not just turned his life around, but definitely makes a difference. Not just for him, but for the people that listen to him and that are part of his life, uh, both as uh, as um, as uh, subjects or as, as those in his audience and, and I'm sure his friends and family I know that uh, listening to him if you're paying attention tonight you understand that the world can be better when you find yourself a better place to live in it and sometimes that means oh, yeah. getting to that clean and sober place so that you actually mm-hmm. can appreciate what good feels like and you can appreciate what bad feels like 